This podcast was recorded pre-lockdown. I wanted to share these episodes with you as they are still great conversations with great people about great times that will definitely come back again. Hi and welcome to Series 2 of the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week we will talk to the great, the good and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive, who've been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital-first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. So out and about in Soho and just between recording sessions dashing into Itsu, for some chilli chicken udon, which is amazing, and no celeb spots today in Soho Radio, but I'll keep you updated. And I was just waiting on my next guest, really, and it's a new relationship, and it is Matt Greg-Smith, who is the co-founder and CEO of the golf competitive socialising brand Swingers. He was the first, which is really interesting, and we really talk about his journey from putting on events and music nights all the way to that agency I suppose then being taken over and bought by VCCP what it was like when you're bought to then work inside a huge ad agency and then the success story from there on in that really gave birth to Swingers really really great insight what a gamble they took as well in terms of high rents big spaces big fit out costs to then fill it every single night, even when it was a pop-up. Some really exciting expansion plans as well that he talks about, what it means to be a CEO, how you can split your life between UK and other territories that you might be looking to go into, and also why he's actually, weirdly, not that big a fan of golf. Enjoy. So it gives me the most driving for show, putting for dough pleasure ever to introduce a new friend. Uh, we've, we've had lunch and we kept it reasonably sober. Um, but I'll introduce you to Mr. Matt, I'm going to hopefully say this right. Go for it. Gretch Smith. Grek. Grek, damn yeah. it. Right, I'm doing it, it was 50-50. <laughs> Matt Grek. Smith. Greg Smith. And Matt is the co-founder and CEO of the Amazing Swingers. I am indeed. Yes. How many now? Uh, two at the moment, Dos. but soon about to expand. Great. Well, that's exciting. We can talk about all that. So we caught for lunch. We went to one of the restaurants within Petersham Nurseries, yeah, right, yeah. which, nice. which was nice. And it was like a bit of a blind date because we got set up by your PR people. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. And then they didn't turn up. No, they didn't turn up, but they were like, you two should know each other. So we were, we were like, okay. And then we were like, what were we here for? What are we here for? Yeah. <laughs> like, may as well come on a podcast then. Um, well, luckily, we had a lot of mutual grounds, so it was all fine. It was all good. So, yeah, so I suppose it's reenacting that uh, lunch chat, which is good. So let's fast forward to now, and, and then we can go back. You know, what's happening right now? I mean, this is going to go out in a couple of months, but it's uh, hard out there right now, right? Yeah, so we're talking at the start of March, obviously, and it's raining mm. uh, torrentially. Uh, Brexit is real. It's happened. It's a thing. And coronavirus mm. is rearing its head. And we're in this very strange position of not knowing what the future looks like. And so who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, thinking about swingers then, what is, you know, how did it happen? How did it come about? What was the concept? Are you a secret Tiger Woods? What was going on there? Well, in answer to the Tiger Woods bit, no, not at all. I kind of, I've, I've said this before, and I probably shouldn't say this in interviews and stuff, but I think golf is a complete waste of time. Um, <laughs> we may which, need to cut that, Gaz. Yeah, I probably should stop going on record and saying that. But um, our, mine and my business partner Jeremy, our background was in events, and so we were running these music events um, for students. Uh, we started when we were at university, and I was in Manchester, and he was in Leeds. And we started running these club nights, essentially, mm. all around the UK. And it 
just sort of got bigger and bigger. So um, what was it called? It was called Rough Hill. Okay. Um, R U F F or R O U G H? Okay, proper. Yeah, um, yeah. It was it was named after a valley where a festival. We did a festival once, and that okay. took place, and it just became a very nice generic name that we could use for it. But type um, of music. The uh, we initially we started out doing kind of disco and funk, mm-hmm. and our first nights in Manchester we used to have a live funk band playing and Great. DJs, and they were quite cool credible nights and then we discovered if you went a bit more commercial into the bigger venues then you could make more money right so we actually ended up working with the tiger tiger chain Uh which so this was 2002 i think it was and we did a big end of term event in tiger tiger manchester and it was this big... Is that in the print works? No. Yeah, that's oh, right, yeah. yeah. And it was this big split-level venue that was kind of broken into different rooms. So I think overall the capacity was about 1,800, but built into these different zones. And it was kind of coming on the back of the 1990s where it had all been super clubs and everyone had been kind of dancing to... You know, dance music was massive and there was lasers and everyone in one big room. And suddenly this new type of venue emerged that was broken down into Ooh. these different areas and it did cocktails really accessibly. And... I think it was over 21s at the time. Um, and it was cool. Like Manchester United used to go there for their Christmas parties and yeah, stuff. Yeah. You, it, was, it was a different time. And they probably couldn't afford it now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it did so bad. <laughs> yeah. But um, they said to us, we'd been doing these various events, and they said, I'd do an end of term, an end of year ball. So in about June, we did this ball and we filled it with 2,000 odd people that paid. £25 a ticket or something oh. like that. And they, all the people that came spent loads of money on the bars as well. And so Tiger Tiger were like, wow, this is amazing. So can you come and do this? Well, they, the first of all, they said, can you come and do this every week? And we were like, no, that's crazy. Yeah. 2,000 people a week. That's insane. But, you know, if you're a little bit entre- entrepreneurial, you think, well, Why let's not? give it a go. Yeah, yeah. And it sort of took off. We created this event called Vodka Island. Uh-huh. And it was built around the fact that you could get cut price vodka and red bull so i think it was 150 a single 250 a double wow and yeah the night went a bit crazy it was the place to go on monday we got lots of students but it was then, on monday yeah sorry that's the other <laughs> crucial detail that i should add monday nights um we got lots of industry as well so people worked in the shops and the bars and restaurants Ooh. that weren't going out on weekends and yeah it did two thousand people every week without oh. fail and it was amazing and so tiger tiger obviously said um could you come and do this in a few more of our venues so we did manchester and leeds and then we did portsmouth as well and i think at that point i left university uh, i finished my degree yeah. graduated and what we, did you do i did politics okay which is not, i don't know it hasn't really come in very useful <laughs> since but um yeah and then we jeremy and i my, he's my business partner as i said we got an office in london carried on running these events I think we did more Tiger Tigers. We took on Aberdeen and Croydon. And then we're running... The Cronks. Yeah, we're doing events all around the country for other chains as well. Yeah. And it just gave us this amazing overview of the nightlife uh, market. And what we were doing in order to run them and get these young people to come in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, um, is we had a team in each city made up of young people that were taken from all of the kind of sports teams and societies and halls of residence. So it's real sort of peer-to-peer networking, selling tickets, getting people to come to these events because we realised the coolest events were just the ones where you got the right people to who then brought all their peer groups. It It wasn't so much about the venue itself. And because we had those networks, we started to get brands that came to us and said, you know, youth marketing is the the dark art no one knows how to do it so could you help us promote our brand mm-hmm. and so a bit of a youth marketing agency arose from that as well and to cut a long story short we then got bought by a big ad agency who wanted to add uh, experiential and youth into their roster of uh, disciplines that mm-hmm. they offered their clients and what what was that called the agency called VCCP so it was part oh, of uh, Julian and Julian Julian was there Julian Douglas? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, He was one of the first people that kind of welcomed us into uh, VCCP. Yeah, lovely guys. I worked with them on, or it was an electricity brand, um, right. First Utility. Yeah, I really enjoyed working with them. And what was your agency called? So we, Rough Hill stayed doing the sort of um, youth and 
carrying on running the club nights mm-hmm. and then we had vccp live okay. which was the kind of experiential part of it and we would just they had lots of clients who um were going to other outside agencies mm-hmm. to get that stuff done and suddenly they could turn around and say oh we can do it for you in-house so yeah. we did loads of stuff from uh, mcdonald's to um mclaren uh we did big charity events we did a big thing for Oasis, um, the drink. Right? Oh, the drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, <laughs> far less cool. But to be fair, we did turn the London Eye into the world's biggest ever, brackets unverified, uh, uh, game of spin the bottle. And so we had people, um, competition winners in all of the capsules on the London Eye. And then they looked at a screen that was on a barge on the river and then they got matched up, two capsules got matched up through, um, oh. through this big screen and then they all got to go out on a big night out. That sounds cool. So um, it was cool. my first job was student marketing. Was it? Yeah. So I was loaded, right, enemy, right. Uh, melody maker, uncut. So I was kind of in that murky world. And then there was um, Beatwax were around. Uh-huh. I think they did stuff. Campus group. Yeah, yeah, I remember them. I was, um, I was a brand ambassador for them. Where are you? Yeah. What, what brands? I did. Oh, this is oh, really so embarrassing. I, as well, yeah. I did a thing called Heelys, which were these trainers that the got a yeah a wheel in the heel. Yeah, they're still going. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. It wasn't a good look for a twenty-one-year-old student. <laughs> <laughs> I was. The idea was I was supposed to use these things to get around campus and uh-huh. um, promote the brand, but. I don't think they left the box that much. <laughs> Only for the things I absolutely had to do. Yeah, well, it's quite interesting youth marketing, and I don't think enough brands are tuned into it, right? So if you think about restaurant brands or you know hospitality brands or anything like that, probably at best what they'll do is you know have a student discount. They won't activate it very well. They won't really tell anyone apart from seeing it in the restaurant. And it's actually so difficult to get into the campus now because yeah. they know their worth. Yeah. And what was, did they not have, was it sub-TV or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the that, screens that, and yeah. all the unions and stuff. So you've got that. You have got people going around checking if anything commercials went up, getting into students' dorms with some promotional items. Yeah. Really tough. So I it's, think, yeah, it's still a money spinner, I think. Yeah, exactly. There's a massive amount of money in that youth audience. But I just think what brands don't tend to have is much in the way of insight into actually how mm-hmm. that demographic is thinking. And there's this tendency that we always found to lump everybody into one homogenous group mm-hmm. and to think that all they want in life is a discount or all they want in life is cheap booze. And in the same way that you wouldn't take the uh, 25 to 40 year old demographic and treat them all exactly the same way, mm-hmm. you've just got to um, understand what's what's affecting their lives Um, and once you've got that kind of insight then you can actually make campaigns that work yeah and again the insight piece people just it's it's almost always one of the things to get cut in a marketing budget it's just like yeah we know yeah "Mm, i'm not sure and it which is a shame because there's lots of money out there yeah and and that's what we built our whole whole should we do it it again (laughs) i don't know if i can go back to thinking in student years ago finally got after about 10 or 12 years or whatever it was got away from knowing when the summer holidays were starting and when precious week was so yeah i'm not too desperate to get back from supersonic inc this is the mark mcsee supersonic marketing podcast The Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, Talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bars business throughout their full life cycle. As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors, and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top. And please say that I sent you.
So what sort of happened next then? So that was a huge success. VCCP came in. You bought the yacht. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. The dinghy. Um, we did a couple of years in VCP, which uh-huh. was a great experience. We suddenly ended up basically running this division of a big ad agency. And, you know, they do big campaigns for, they do O2, they do Compare the Market. I think it was EasyJet maybe. EasyJet, yeah. So big, big campaigns. I mean, I think they're a top five agency. And we were suddenly sitting at this quite high level within it and being taken into these various pitches and presentations and meeting clients. And we always talk about it as the the sort of almost a training academy for us that sort of professionalized us yeah and it took a lot of what we already knew from having run our business before but really kind of polished it up and helped us we learned a lot about brands mm-hmm. how they work brand hierarchy and we learned a lot about communication just how to take a message and communicate it clearly to a, a, a variety of people so it was this incredibly useful period mm. But I think we found it tough. It was we weren't running our own business in the way that we had been. Yeah, and we were in this huge organisation, and we didn't really have um, flexibility. And I think it's what we found is it's very easy to buy a business, and that's what happened. We got acquired because we looked great on paper. We yeah. did youth and we did events, and VC people were like, let's get that in. But I just think in practice, you've then. The, the difficult thing is making that work within your organization yeah. and getting it to fire. And so it never quite realized its full potential. And we got to the end of our earnout and we're thinking, oh, what should we do next? And we wanted to get back to being entrepreneurial, really. Mm. We wanted a product, something we could control a bit more tightly than just, you know, it's a difficult model when you're selling time yeah. um, by the hour. We kind of wanted a product that we could put out there. And so we had this really interesting overview from our Rough Hill days of mm-hmm. the nightlife market. And then we'd spent this time working with these brands, um, these various you know, big brands that had been coming to us and saying, we want you to create an experience for us. We want you to take our brand and make it exist in the offline world and yeah, take people on a journey. So we could just see the way the market was changing that people wanted these experiences. And so at the time, you could you could go bowling, um, and that was quite high-end all-star. Mm-hmm. You could go and play table tennis. But there wasn't loads of other stuff out there. This is the end of 2014. And we'd had this idea, what if you took crazy golf and combined it with really good food mm-hmm. in a kind of cool environment? And what if we bring you cocktails while you play? Yeah, and so we tested the idea on kind of everyone we know and you know generally you get a very honest reaction from your friends and especially when you've been working in marketing you test a campaign idea on someone and they're like "Mm, no it's not great and you kind of have to sell it you really have to push it and then this idea we were saying crazy golf with cocktails and burgers and people were like yeah I do that yeah I do that for my birthday and it was such a universal response yeah. we just kind of went for it and we we did a pop-up to test the idea so where was the pop-up the pop-up was on hearn street which i don't think exists anymore it's um just off curtain road in shoreditch yeah. and it was this leaky old warehouse and that is now underneath where the new amazon headquarters are okay. so such is the face of progress <laughs> um but yeah, it was this 7,000 square foot site. It was used as event space. And we, yeah, we were looking around for somewhere to do this pop-up and it seemed perfect to us. So yeah, we did, we, we, we approached it like a long running event, basically. So we, we knew event producers mm-hmm. and we knew alcohol brands and we knew all the relevant people, which was actually a really nice moment in time because yeah. if we'd had this idea five years before or whatever, we probably wouldn't have been able to pull it off, but... Yeah. Everything led really nicely to this point. And, yeah, we built the first ever iteration of Swingers. How many holes? Uh, one nine-hole crazy golf Just course. Nine. Yeah. Um, with two bars um, and two street food vendors who were Patty and Bun and Pizza Pilgrims. Not bad. Greatest hits package for the... No, uh, it was good. Ones. It was good. It was, yeah, it was a... We went into it. When I look back and think about how little we knew at the time, mm. I kind of can't believe it happened what about mistakes what you know what looking back on that what mistakes did you make ah uh, that's a good question i mean we've 
we've made so many mistakes over time, but nothing that stands out as oh my gosh, yeah. that was catastrophic. I think every all the mistakes we made over were ones that we sort of corrected and tweaked and slowly got things right. And actually, that's what the pop up was all about. We we tested everything mm-hmm. about the business, and you know there was no system for going to a crazy golf venue you know if you go ice skating there's a system where you go and pick up your skates and you get on the ice and there's if you go bowling you turn up and you know roughly how it's going to work we had to kind of create the crazy golf bar system and actually the what we came up with before the pop-up opened worked pretty well but we were able to refine it and tweak it and so by the end of the pop-up it was running well and going into our first permanent site we, yeah, we, we knew what we were doing. Yeah, ish. Ish. And, and what about the name and all that stuff? Did that just come to you really quickly? Or was there other options? Or what, what were you thinking? No, it was always Swingers. Um, I don't know. Once once you've heard the name Swingers, it just makes sense. Good and, name, yeah. Yeah, you don't forget it. It was um, a guy called Josh Ford who um, we were working with. Mm-hmm. Um, he came up with it. And... Yeah, we just we wanted the swingers world to stand for something. So we we built out the brand and we thought, what is swingers? And it, this we decided it was an English country golf club, basically. Uh-huh. And so you walked in and we built a clubhouse within the warehouse, and that was the bar and had Chesterfield sofas, and it was sponsored by um, a whiskey brand. I can't remember who it was now. Um, and then we it. There was sort of a raised area, so half the half this long rectangular room was raised. So we had the bars up there, mm-hmm. and we had an area called the terrace, which sort of looked down. And then the lower area was the um, nine-hole crazy golf course, and we put trees and plants in, mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. And yeah, someone called it the hipster trifecta because it was in Shoreditch, it was a warehouse, and it was crazy golf. <laughs> but it just it, with yeah, no it just irony. Worked. and it just it was amazing because it just worked people came in and i don't know they just thought oh this is really fun i understand it there's yeah a bit of an immersive world and it was as social media was starting to kick off as well which has played a big role in driving driving awareness of the brand well that's what i was going to ask was you know how did you get that message out there you know what and you're starting up you've not got shitloads of cash and you know so what what did you what did you pull the levers on well I mean, it's funny because we had a PR company and the same PR company we have now, actually. And very efficient, very efficient. Very efficient. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hope they're listening to this. And <laughs> um, yeah, they were always confident that the product we were going out with was going to get press yeah. and that they could drive awareness. It was new, it was interesting, hadn't been done before, and just like no one else had done this. No, you were first. No, wow, yeah, first mover. Which seems strange now when sitting here in 2020 when there's Ooh. so much out there. But yeah, the, the market's changed a lot in the last five years. But um, we the best thing we did was we worked with The Nudge, um, which oh, the yeah. listing site. And they have this subscriber base who pay, um, or a lot of them pay to be on the database and hear first about new openings. And they're great at kind of getting opportunities Ooh. for their subscribers. And they did an email out to their, I think it was 15,000 subscribers at the time, mm-hmm. about Swingers and gave them the opportunity to buy tickets first. So basically we put the website live but didn't tell anyone right. and just told them first. And that email that went to 15,000 people got forwarded a further 145,000 times. Wow. And remains to date their most shared email. But I think people just were sitting at their desks and they got his email going, do you want to have a patty and bum burger, play crazy golf and drink cocktails? And everyone went, yeah, totally. Yeah, sounds great. And they sent it to their friends. And so the website crashed. And I remember I was sitting at my kitchen table with Jeremy and we kind of had our head in our hands because we'd done all this sort of planning for what if no one knows about us. Yeah. And suddenly the opposite had happened, which was equally a problem, which like a nice problem to have, but you've got a website that is melted and you're on the phone to the tech guys and they're going, we're going to have to move it onto a new server, but it's going to take 24 hours or 48 hours. And you're like, no, no, no. There's people waving money at us that want to buy our ticket. So we got up and running and we sold out that five month run, which was a really nice position to be in and showed us from the outset that there was a viable business idea there. So 
there's quite a lot of different factors happening. So, you know, in terms of setup costs and all that kind of thing, what, how much was Swingers? Zero point five, I guess, or something. Yeah, zero point five. <laughs> uh, it actually cost between about four and five hundred grand to set up Fuck, really yeah wow so you know we were renting this seven thousand square foot space in shoreditch which wasn't cheap um we had to do relatively involved build like the the fit out we did building bars and building the clubhouse and the courses you know you it all adds up that took a couple of weeks off site of prep and then two weeks on site to install it all and then yeah, there were, there were just bits of infrastructure, you know, to get the kitchens working, to be able to serve enough drinks and that sort of thing, to add in lighting. Mm. The roof kept leaking, which was a problem. There were rat sightings. Um, <laughs> the Scottish Hall. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it was reasonably expensive to fit out. We were lucky because we'd been in the industry for a while with the club nights mm-hmm. and then also in marketing terms we've been working with some alcohol brands we knew who to call up and say look we're doing this thing yeah. um will you come and sponsor it so we got some quite good sponsorship in there and some listing fees and yeah. things like that so that really helped but we we started off when we opened the pop-up we uh, factored we did the business plan on only opening Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. And then it just got busier and busier. And it ran for five months from September through to the end of the following February. And by the January, February, we were running um, six, seven nights a week um, all day long. So we we actually ended up finishing the pop-up a bit earlier than we wanted to because of the demolition order yeah. so that Amazon could build their headquarters. Yeah. But, um, Damn you, Bezos. Yeah, exactly. Um but we more than broke even. We carried some profit through, which was a position we never really expected to be. And we kind yeah. of wanted it just to wash its face. And it went beyond that. And, and beyond. suddenly people knew about us and we had a database. So we had a kind of a springboard to go, f- to go off from there. And then what about things like the branding and, and all that stuff? So it's very reminiscent for me of, you know, like almost a clash between um, or a mashup between Slazinger and uh, Titleist sort of writing you know in, in, in yeah. terms of the you know so who, who helped on all that stuff and I mean we did it all in house <clears throat> we the pop-up had a different logo and it kind of didn't quite fit and we sort of hated it and we're excited to get rid of it as quickly as we could and then because the pop-up closed in uh, February 2015 and we didn't open our permanent site till May 2016 Mm -hmm. we had quite a nice sort of incubation period between the two and we started working with a graphic designer a guy called Andreas who's amazing and he still works with us to this day and he can walk around the venue and most things he points to he's been involved in the design of to some way so I sort of art direct it and I know roughly what we're sort of going for Mm -hmm. and then he puts it together and that's been really nice in terms of um, that continuity we've had over the last couple of years and the brand's been through a real sort of evolution and then we've just got lots of heritage and it's a big brand world to draw from so If you go on our website, we've got this cool collage and we use a, a different artist for that. But it just uses is kind of um, 1920s images um, but put into a very bright and colourful landscape. Um, and yeah, we're just lucky that yeah we play in this space where it's got heritage and history and so we can take all the best bits to yeah. bring our brand to life. And sort of modern, modernise it and, and exactly. bring it to a new audience. Yeah, we always call great. it a modern twist on the 1920s. Yeah, yeah. Bastardisation. Absolutely. <laughs> Hi, I'm Alex from Engage, and thanks for tuning in to the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Each week, we'll be bringing you a great tip to supercharge your own digital marketing. And this week's comes from James, our head of page search, who shares his insights on bidding on local searches. Local searches, for example, queries including near me or in my area, are growing year on year. They usually represent a potential customer that is ready to convert. Take advantage of this high intent traffic by building specific campaigns focusing on this type of search traffic in Google and Bing. A couple of good tips for getting the most out of this traffic are one, to set your geotargeting radius to something sensible for your business. Will people travel one mile, five miles or further for your product or service? And two, create advert copy that directly mentions the locality. For example, a headline that starts looking for X near you, where X is your product or service 
is a great way to grab the attention of your audience. As always, monitor performance and your search query reports to see how things are working and adjust from there. If you need help with your own paid advertising campaigns, then head over to engageinteractive.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you can see how we've helped some of the UK's most ambitious and successful hospitality brands with theirs. Cheers and enjoy the rest of the episode. So then from from there then, you know, what was the difference between that and then a, a proper site? And then, you know, how many team members did you have to hire and, you know, all that sort of stuff? What What did that look like? Yeah, I mean, it was... In terms of the uh, change between the venues, we we left the pop-up knowing that we had a something that worked mm. and we wanted it to be bigger and better when we got to a permanent site. So we looked around and whereas the pop-up being 7,000 square feet, we knew that we wanted roughly 20,000 square feet. Wow. So, we, so we could do more food vendors, more bars and have at least two crazy golf courses. And we at that time it was really difficult to find space this was like i said 2015 and there wasn't a lot out there we um we i think we the site we took in the city is the first and pretty much only site we saw Mm. um because we need our twenty thousand square feet all to be in one space um so from there in terms of design and the evolution of the site it was pretty simple it was kind of taking what we had done before but making it bigger better Mm -hmm. more permanent um, and getting more volume through and then we had to recruit from scratch pretty much because it was a long time between the pop-up and the permanent Mm -hmm. site so we in terms of our floor staff we yeah we we weren't able to keep anyone between the two so um, our swinger sites have about 100 staff in total um, across management and caddies and waiters and bartenders and all that sort of thing yeah and then we also started building up a, a head office team as well um, of people to do sales and marketing and finance and all those other critical functions. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it it grew quite quickly. From and that. potentially without some of that VCCP experience, would that have been harder for you to do? Yeah, I think so. I think we, like I said, we were just more professional and we just, I think when you're going from the pop-up to the permanent site, it obviously you've got a bit of a um, what's the word, a prototype mm-hmm. um, that you can show people and people could obviously see that it worked. But yeah, there's lots of people that haven't had any experience of that and you've got to get them on board and you've got to convince food vendors to come and join you and yeah. alcohol brands to get on board and all that sort of thing. And so being able to put together a really good pitch deck which just sums up exactly mm-hmm. who you are what you want where you're going was yeah. incredibly powerful so yeah everything we learned at vcp definitely stayed with us and what about the each hole itself what is that themed on you know what's in my mind is i think there's a i don't know the area but i think it's north Holt park or somewhere in north london anyway and it had, I don't know if it does anymore, but it had like a six or seven hole golf course, but every hole was exactly to the millimetre, the same as the most famous holes in golf. Oh, uh, right. Okay. So it was like proper sort of mini golf. Uh, well, it's, it's a course, you know. Right, right. Um, and uh, one of them's the postage stamp from Trun, where, near where I'm from. Okay. Which is the worst bunker. You're like <laughs> pretty much the wall you need to get it is, is like the height of you when you're in the bunker. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a good a good experience, you know. That was kind of cool. But is yours more on the is that crazy golf side, or is it more on the golfy golf side, or what? Uh, the... That's a good question. I would, I there's this mini golf for for me is um, kind of what you're talking about, where you take a golf course and you shrink it, and we see that a lot in the US, mm-hmm. um, where th- that's quite common. Um, yeah, just taking a full size and making it smaller. And then Crazy Golf, obviously, is where you start to introduce the loop the loops and it gets a bit wackier. The windmill. The windmill. So we have all of those things. I would probably, on a spectrum, place us somewhere between Crazy Golf and Mini Golf. Mm-hmm. I think what we've done in our venues is we we always wanted it to be that if you putted the ball and you were a good putter, you would, you would win, if you see what I mean. So... 
your ability can carry you through. We didn't want anything that randomizes play or mm. so you hit the ball somewhere and you don't know where it's going to pop out. Yeah. So if you are a good putter, you will do well. And then we add in installations on top of that. So big wheels, windmills, loop the loops, all that sort of thing, where they add to the excitement. Um, but like I say, you can still putt through them mm-hmm. and you can still use your skill. And then overall, I guess the only reason why it stops from becoming true crazy golf is that we've gone with quite a a nice aesthetic where we have these kind of English country golf club theme yep. or English seaside theme like we have in the West End. Mm-hmm. We've sort of adhered to those themes a bit to make the space look a bit more stylish in mm-hmm. some ways. So, yeah, we don't have clowns' faces. We haven't gone full-on wacky. Yeah. Um, but there's still, yeah, lots to keep you amused and interested. And what about that grammability point you know i know it sometimes makes us feel a bit of dry sick come up and all that but it's kind of where the world's at i mean what's happened what do you see with that i mean it's so funny people turn up to the venues and you can see when they walk in they know which instagram shots they want to get while they're in there you know they want the big wheel or they want the golf buggy so yeah we never when we started out, we didn't put these Instagram moments in on purpose. It wasn't that conscious. We just were designing these big spaces and they are, you know, by the time you've put all this um, undergrowth and trees and flowers in and they're quite brightly coloured, so they are very visually appealing. Mm -hmm. And it really works on Instagram and having learnt that, we've certainly played it up a bit and dialed up a bit. I guess, you know, we have golf buggies dotted around. We've got, you know, these installations on the courses, which are quite uh, iconic now and say swingers. And then the the tip of the iceberg for us was we now have these photo podiums within the venues. And so um, the podiums always existed where the idea was you'd play your game as mm-hmm. a team of four or whatever, and you'd go off to the podium and you'd take photos um, on this winner's podium, which people loved. And then we added these photo rigs with a company called the Flash Pack. Mm-hmm. And they're basically 10 cameras, and you press a button, and they fire sequentially, and then you can email the resulting um, MP4 to yourself. And you can post it onto social media. And so what we're doing is we say, give us your data, and mm-hmm. you can have this MP4, which is just a kind of a, pa- a panning shot yeah. of you, you and your friends on the podium with branding. And then you can put it on social media. And people love it. And that is is sort of the holy grail in terms of that transaction where, as an operator, you always want people's data. But Mm -hmm. trying to think of ways to get people to give it to you is quite challenging. But this instance where we're like, we'll give you something you can put on your Instagram that will make you look good, people are like, yeah, no problem. Here's my data. And what do you do with the data after? I mean, how deep are you going into targeting, marketing, things like that? Because what I see, a lot of people getting a lot of data but they don't really do much with it? Yeah, we're starting to use it in quite a lot of ways. Um, I think the biggest thing we do is um, we do quite a lot of performance marketing. And so Ooh. what we've been able to do with our data, because we we get it from people using the podiums, but also when people buy tickets online um, or bookers groups, we can take the data and the, you can run it through platforms like Experian, for example, yeah. um, the sort of credit, uh, don't we call them credit agency? Yeah. Um, and so you take the data and you're... Credit, credit check. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. So you're not looking at the the people themselves within the data, but mm. they're telling you who your customer are. And then you can start to find audiences that are the same as those yeah. um, and serve them content. So mm-hmm. we produce quite a lot of editorial now and then quite a lot of targeted ads. Um, and that's a really nice layer that we have um, to our marketing that sits on top of all the usual SEO and PPC yeah. and social media. Yeah. And then what sort of percentage spend are you putting towards marketing? Because, again, I go and see a lot of clients and all the rest of it, and they're working off ones and two percent but trying to get that reach and it feels kind of low. I mean, are you sort of marketing forward in that way or? Yeah, we, um, we know that marketing is kind of integral to keeping that flow of customers and having longevity as a business. So we're probably putting in the region of eight to 10% yeah. on marketing. Um, That's right. And yeah, you know, we're a big venue in a peak week. We'll get anywhere between, seven to nine thousand people coming through the venue so you can't really 
do it on a wing and a prayer you've mm. got to spend some money and you've got to be out kind of hitting the the wider market so yeah yeah, yeah. And, and i guess going back to any other questions the time at vcp has sort of cemented some of those yeah. ideas that um, marketing campaigns have got to be um broad and integrated and well thought through and yeah we we try to practice now what we preached back in the day back in the day to the clients and then what about the you know because you're in such an eclectic business because you've got the events bit you've got the bar bit you've got the street food bit i mean in terms of the street food side of things then what did you sort of learn off that and what are all the types of people you've had in there and you know have you got any favorites and all these things you know it's kind yeah, of interesting. Yeah. i mean we the initial thought was we were coming out of an agency and we could work out the bar side of things we could bring that we could get that expertise in pretty easily but we just knew that we weren't food operators mm. and i think we appreciated good food so yeah. we knew how difficult it would be to try and do that ourselves and also when you go to these concepts so often you have to compromise on the food and we've all been to a out of town bowling alley where the food is sort of terrible hot dogs and fries and all that sort of thing <laughs> so we just we knew we were coming along in london and we wanted the food to be really really good we yeah. wanted to be worthy of the rest of the experience and so that had to be bringing it in and bringing in known brands and we knew joe from patty and bun really well we knew the pizza pilgrims guys already so it was really easy to say to them look we've got this opportunity are you interested mm -hmm. and i think they were probably slightly circumspect but thought i oh, do you know what and the way that other people had as well man this is probably worth a shot yeah what's up on yeah great and so we brought them in and it was great because we got to leverage their brand um they were talking about it to their audiences but also, you know, people are getting to come in and have a patty and bun burger yeah. and have one of the best burgers that you can get out there. So that worked really well. And when we got to the first permanent site, we wanted a few more vendors. And so our opening lineup there was Labab, Patty and Bun and Pizza Pilgrims. Um, and we always were going to change it from time to time. Mm -hmm. So Labab changed after a while. And we actually brought in Hoppers, which was oh, yeah. great. So they had one site at the time in London. They just got their Michelin Bib Gourmand. So it was a bit of a coup getting them in. Um, and they were amazing to work with. I think we had one really interesting learning from that, which was that a lot of our customers are either on corporate outings or if they're um, not in a big group, then quite possibly they're on a date. And the um, Sri Lankan heavily spiced food was less conducive to both corporate right. outing, outings and dates and so um they yeah they weren't getting quite the sales they wanted so they during their run they flipped it um to bubble dogs um uh -huh. for a while which was really good um and then at the moment we have breados uh tacos yeah. in and actually because you have to kind of curate a food mix across the, the food vendors you want them yeah. to do well and so you've got the burgers you've got the pizza which you've got very obvious audiences and what's great about Bredo's tacos is you've got some color some freshness yeah. a little bit of health creeping in and they're amazing for all of the um kind of intolerances yeah. in terms of most of their tacos are gluten-free they've got lots of vegetarian and vegan options so yeah. they take lots of boxes lot tick lots of boxes as well so um we're always trying to think about the overall picture they're so nice to bread those guys i mean i think i think i'm right in saying i hope i haven't mixed them up but uh are they market holes yeah they've yeah they've got um Victoria? super tacos in uh market halls so bumped into the i think i'd done a presentation to uh jd's lot at oh, yeah. uh, dynorama and stuff and he been in the audience which you know obviously didn't, mm -hmm. didn't meet everyone or whatever and yeah just sort of recognised he'd come up and he was just looked after me gave me loads of free stuff and right, you'll right. have this and they're just so kind of you know it just it yeah was they really, really get great. hospitality yeah yeah oh, it was wonderful really nice guys. wonderful and then what about site two then so site two um we were having this amazing run in the city mm -hmm. people were queuing out the door um it yeah went crazy again it was one of those nice problems to have but nonetheless still a problem just trying to cope with the influx of demand mm -hmm. and so again pretty early on into the run of that venue we were thinking i think there's scope to do another one in london and so obviously the city we consider central east and we thought it'd be really nice to have something in central west yep. 
And by then, the property market was getting a little bit easier um, because you know retail was having a tricky time. There were stores starting to close down, and BHS was uh, sadly gone into administration, mm. but it left their flagship site in Oxford Circus available. And so we took 25% of it. It was two floors um, of 40,000 square foot wow. each in total. Um, a retailer went in on the ground floor. As you all know, market. What went in on the ground floor? It's a retailer, um, a Polish retailer. Oh. And again, my mind's gone blank now. It's just but not been up that way for a while, yeah. No, it's just a big kind of flagship store. Oh. And then on we took half of the first floor and the other half went to market halls. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we did our fit out. We themed it slightly separately. We gave it the English seaside theme because we wanted to give people a reason to visit both. And that which op- which English seaside were you thinking about? We were thinking about probably the English Riviera of that kind of Devon uh-huh. sort uh-huh. of Brighton-y South Coast, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. No offence to any other coasts. Nope. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's got bandstands. The instead of a clubhouse, it's got a grand hotel bar, which is like wicker furniture and palms. The uh, the course has got the helter skelter and the big wheel, um, and that opened in May 2018, and has gone really well. Great. And, yeah, here we are today almost. And is there a record for shots around the course? Well, there's you lots of rumours. someone done it in nine? Uh, I don't think we've had anyone do it in nine. Mm-hmm. What's, what's nice about um, the courses are we don't have... We have caddies on the courses who give hints and tips, and they're, but they're not there adjudicating. So it's down to you and your integrity mm. and... The supervision of your friends so there are rumors about that i think the best scores i've heard of are about 15 okay and that's possibly some of our caddies who spend a lot of time playing the course and yeah. learning all the tricks but yeah so i think 15 is around the right spot but we do have a way that you can enter your score through our app onto the leaderboard and uh-huh. lots of people claim to get nine and sometimes less than nine <laughs> so but we delete them off quite quickly yeah nice that's pretty cool and then and what about the the food offer then in in West End? Uh, we kept it pretty similar uh-huh. to um, City. We kind of it just is the food mix works. You know, what I mean, having a burger that appeals to most people, especially now they've got great vegan and vegetarian options. Yep. The pizzas are great for sharing. Um, perhaps if you're less adventurous, maybe you, you go for a pizza. That's not to stereotype pizza eaters yeah, yeah. or anything, but it it that it definitely works for that demographic. Um, and then the tacos always add the freshness. So we ended up bringing um, patty and bun and breados across with us. Mm-hmm. We work with Made of Dough, um, who do okay. our pizza there. They're based in Peckham. Right. Um, and they do some great pizzas. They've got these amazing pizzas that are size of bin lids. So, really? Uh, yeah, they're 20-inch, I think. Yeah, Home Slice kind of had that, didn't they? Yeah, and we did talk to Home Slice, yeah. but unfortunately, they obviously use wood-fired ovens. Oh, and yeah, it's tricky. part of, yeah, being shared development for us is sometimes you can't get the, the flues and all the extraction, boring yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And then we also added um, a dessert vendor in when we did West End. Uh-huh. Kind of one of the benefits of having learnt a bit more was that we wanted to add that on. And so we brought in Hackney Gelato. Okay. And they are an amazing brand. They started out, I think, working in the kitchen at Lacanda Locatelli as pastry chefs. Wow. And they've got quite a few different strands to their business. They um, supply restaurants with ice cream and quite often give restaurants their own bespoke flavours mm-hmm. that you can only get in those places. So they they do some of London's very cool uh, restaurants. Then they've got one or two concessions. They're in um, the uh, what's the street food market on Neil Street called? The new um, well, the curb one. Yeah, uh, yeah, Seven Dials Market or something. Yeah, it? exactly. Like yeah. yeah, the one on Neil Street. Yeah, yeah, know. you know yeah. what I mean. And um, so they're in there, and they do swingers. And then they've actually started selling to a few supermarkets, and I think you can buy a few of their flavors on mm. Acado and places like that. So, have you got a favorite flavor? They do an amazing. They well. They used to call it a Snickers one, and then I think for legal reasons, they can't call <laughs> so it Snickers anymore. Now, yeah. So, yeah, now it's peanut and 
something but yeah they do honestly the ice cream is incredible i would implore anyone that's listening to just wander in if they're in oxford circuits come in just you don't have to play golf or anything like that try the ice cream and they do these vegan flavors as well like the vegan chocolate and you would think it was laden with cream it is the richest creamiest most beautiful ice cream you ever tasted and it's completely vegan. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. Yeah. Magic. Uh, it Witchcraft. Avo- would it be avocado? Is it? Is it? Is it I haven't actually asked. Is that creaminess? I kind of, in the way, I almost don't want to know. Yeah, no, I don't want to just be spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's actually cream. Nesquik. And, um, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> no thanks. But it's great because people come in and, um, in the, I mean, they, we sell all year round. Obviously, summer's great for ice cream. But yeah. uh, in the winter, they do um, mince pie ice cream and they do right. chocolate uh, orange ice cream and things like that. So. You know, people are coming into swingers for a treat and a good time. And when we get to say, here's your chocolate orange ice cream, people are like, they're not going to say no to that. No, they'd love that. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Forth. Forth is the leading hospitality workforce, inventory and analytics provider. Forth effectively manages your employee's journey using its integrated workforce management system. Forth also improves your organisational efficiency by streamlining and managing all of your purchasing and inventory. And Forth Analytics gives you instant insight to make better business decisions all from your phone, tablet or your computer. Transform your hospitality business today. Go to forth.com now. And then just thinking about you personally as well, you know, being a CEO and co-founder and all the trappings that go with that, you know, what's a day in the life or a week in the life of you? You know, what are you focusing in on, doubling down on, and what do you pull back from and leadership style and all that stuff? Do you think about that stuff much? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, probably... The thing that frames my life the most at the moment is the fact that we are building up to expand in the US. Mm -hmm. And so I'm probably spending a week to 10 days a month in the US. um, And we've got an office just starting up there. My business partner, Jeremy, moved out there um, last August to kind of head up the expansion. So um, when I'm in London, we've got an office in Aldgate, and that's got about 40 people in it which um, ranges across marketing, finance, HR, and then a big sales team because a big part of our business is corporate sales. Yeah. So spending time in the office, you know, checking in with everybody, making sure we're on top of our plans, reacting to whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. Coronavirus has taken up a lot of time this yeah, week. Yeah. Um, getting out into the venues, seeing the teams there. There's, like I said, 100 staff in each of those. So it's important to show your face yeah. um, and kind of make everyone feel supported and encouraged. And then all sorts of business development, um, anything that's going to help grow the business from yeah. marketing initiatives to talking to press and um, having conversations like this one. Yeah. And then lots of planning on the US um, and that I try to spend half of my week on that, um, laying plans, you know, picking all the all the partners we've got the blueprint in the uk for how we're going to do things yeah. but that was easier in some respects because it was a, a world we'd always known and we had experience within and now we've got to replicate that um in the u.s where in the, can you see or not as so much uh i can i can definitely say new york uh-huh. um so i can talk about that um and we do have a couple of other cities in the pipeline as well which we're um working on leases for at the moment Ooh. but yeah new york that's gonna be pretty wild be amazing and then Hawksmoor's opening soon yeah I walked past or there it might so be already open I don't think it's open just yet as of the when this goes out March, maybe yeah, yeah. it hasn't opened but I, I walked past and I think they're done and we actually share a professional team with them in New oh. York so um, project managers and designers oh, and cool. things like that so it's a nice sort of crossover they actually introduced us in the first place when we were looking mm-hmm. um and we're actually, our, our locations are quite close to each other. So we're going in at 29th and Broadway. They're building a massive hotel. Mm-hmm. It's in the Nomad area. Yep. And it's this, it used to be the Garment District. And it's sort of one of the last areas of Manhattan left to gentrify, I guess. And so there's been loads of development. And Nike and Twitter have got headquarters there mm-hmm. and stuff. 
And so we're, yeah, 29th and Broadway, and then um, Hawksmoor are a little bit further east. They're just on Madison, and I think they're around 23rd, 24th. But it's such a great area, and they're around the corner from lots of Danny Meyer's restaurants. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it can't be a bad place to be. No, that's really exciting. No, it's it's just it's a certain sense of pride, you know, with you guys all going out and doing it as well, because it's been a long time since anyone really anything of note yeah yeah take britain out there well it's i think in any industry there's always that kind of um the the knowledge that there's a holy grail is making it on the other side of the atlantic but also everyone knows it's incredibly difficult Mm -hmm. and lots of people have gone before and it hasn't gone quite so well i mean who is the really prep yeah prep i mean they've and they've had to work hard to get traction over there but they're doing really well now so yeah, we go in in with in a very kind of humble way. We obviously hope and need it to do really well, um, but we're doing our groundwork. And I'd like to think with a concept like ours, it will you know we know it will transfer. People will understand it, mm-hmm. and there isn't anything like it out there as we were saying a bit yeah. earlier. I think partly just because rents are so high in New York, they're so much more expensive than London. Mm -hmm. So that whole part of the market hasn't really emerged. Whereas in London, we got to do a pop-up and then our first site in the city, um, it was expensive, but it wasn't eye-wateringly expensive. I think anywhere in Manhattan and most of Brooklyn now is. So people haven't tested these ideas in the same way, but I think when the likes of us go over there and if we manage to be successful, Mm -hmm. then I think think that will be it. The blue touch paper will be lit and people will use us as the kind of benchmark of, okay, there is a, a market here and then that we'll be fighting off explosion again yeah and then you'll need to go to i don't know india or something yeah well which yeah. i'm more than happy to do i'll yeah. go i'll go anywhere be interesting be interesting and then just in terms of you as well you know going forward obviously you're building this thing and, and all the rest of it future you you know what's the the later jobs you want to have and you know what's the other aspirations you've got or is it this forever or you know have you thought about that stuff that's a really good question i think um Yeah, I don't think we see this as a forever job. Um, I think just it's such a fast-paced industry. Mm. And, you know, we're going to go and open a few sites in uh, the US Mm -hmm. and hopefully a couple more in the UK. And then, obviously, when you get beyond that, then you're potentially talking about maybe refinancing and you bring someone in and they're going to want to roll it. And that's, you know, that's a big thing when you're talking about moving to rather than one or two a year you're talking maybe five a year yeah. so that's a whole different ball game mm-hmm. still love to be involved but maybe at that stage someone comes along who has done that before yeah um we have we love this space we love the kind of fusion where marketing and hospitality kind of meet and you get that experience yeah. kind of world in the middle and we've had an amazing experience with our investors who um, have come in. They're primarily property, mm-hmm. um, but they've, in the UK, they've got some holdings that include um, Albright, which is the women's only membership club, mm-hmm. and uh, Maslow's, who have Mortimer House and a few venues like uh-huh, that. Yeah, so they do some, they're doing some really cool stuff, and they've been an amazing support. And lots of times, investors can be a bit of a. Uh, ball and chain if you see what I mean in terms of they can hold you back but we've got these amazing investors who are constantly driving us forward in exactly the right way and we yeah we've learned a lot about as I said before when VCP bought us it's really easy to buy businesses but you've it's another thing to actually um, make it work um, and grow it and so with all of that experience I think we're keen to maybe help other businesses at some point and maybe you know help our investor to invest in other things Mm -hmm. um but do it in the right way supporting kind of young entrepreneurs and providing some of our experience as well so that sounds great i mean it sounds you know you're giving back a bit plus the experience plus and also if you look at someone like you know union square and and danny Mears stuff and all that you know they're probably making as much of a consulting as they are 
right. you know, restaurants. So, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a smart move, I think, because people do wonder if they're doing it right. Yeah. So it's good to talk to those that have. Yeah, yeah. and we're not going to sit around coming up with amazing idea after amazing idea, yeah. but it's about work, working with people who are having great ideas, but maybe helping them to bring them to fruition. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So the last couple of questions I'm going to ask you, and I need to let you go and get on with your life. Um, but uh, we do a little thing called Market of Ten just at the end. So um, best me. city to eat in? Well, I spend a lot of time in New York. Mm-hmm. So there's the New York-London thing, which I don't really have an answer for. But, I mean, I think London is amazing. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, not going to massively excite anyone this answer, but in terms of diversity, accessibility, the fact that you can get into these restaurants and you can eat amazing food at quite affordable price points. Yeah, it's got to be London. New York is amazing, Mm -hmm. but it's so difficult to get into the restaurants that when the restaurant is hot, you haven't got a chance. And then the bill when it comes is astronomical. (laughs) So you can have an amazing time, but yeah, yeah, London pips it for me. You'll pee through the nose. What about restaurant? What's your favourite restaurant? Either it's go-to regularly or one-off amazing time? I really like classic restaurants, Uh um, but I, I like restaurants where they're buzzing and the food is really good but i don't like restaurants where they um the service is too over the top or it's yeah. too fine dining i'm not a fine dining connoisseur and i hate it when they introduce you to your food and they keep interrupting the conversation to tell you what you ordered yeah so for me my favorite place to go and it's not a frequent destination but the river cafe yeah it's just i don't know it's perfect really you've just got this amazing location by the river and the food is incredible. Every time it's faultless. Yeah, you just don't want to be the person paying the bill because <laughs> it's probably one of uh, London's most expensive places. But yeah. but yeah, every single time you leave, just feeling really happy. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, it's came up a few times as people. You know, it's people's idyllic sort of one, and it's yeah, yeah. just that nice balance of not too over the top. And as you see, something you know, somebody telling you about your wine and coming over after the decant it's like just give me the bottle get you know get one yeah and you're with friends and you're having a great time and you're halfway through a bottle of wine and then somebody keeps interrupting the conversation and that drives me insane so the river cafe gets the balance just right i'm trying to hear my wife tell me everything i've done wrong since i've been (laughs) away in the last week you know please please interrupt (laughs) um and then what about dish you know is there a go-to dish that you crave or was that moment in time that you loved um I mean, I'd probably go back to the River Cafe for that answer as well. They they do an amazing crab linguine, which uh-huh. will always um, make you happy. But if I'm being completely truthful, it's about the desserts. And they do a chocolate nemesis, which is, okay. I mean, it's the stuff of legend. Um, and they do this pear and almond tart, and it's crunchy and it's soft and sweet, and they have their own homemade ice creams and you can get like salted caramel ice cream with it and uh, yeah if i was in prison or something like that not that i've done anything wrong let me stress yeah, a different but, podcast, yeah. yeah that's what i would be thinking about when i was sitting in my cell would be getting some river cafe dessert yeah nice and what about go-to drink what's your poison if you drink i do drink far too much <laughs> um i would probably say you can't beat an incredible martini. Again, quite classic, mm-hmm. and I'd probably go to New York for that. There's just sometimes you, when when you get to New York and you're off the plane and you're feeling a bit jet lagged, but you've got this excitement about the buzz and the energy around you, and you have a martini that's perfectly made. There is. Would you be vodka martini or gin martini? Gin martini. Yeah. Um, what gin? I'm fairly flexible. Maybe yeah. a maybe a Tanqueray ten or something. Yeah, like that's that, a classic. Um, or our bartenders at Swingers, they like to make it with Martin Miller, um, which is kind of citrusy. Very, yeah, yeah very acceptable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you the tip I got. Um, James, that I used to work with at Spectacular, uh, he's a real gin, uh, Martin, gin martini freak, right? And uh, he had like a gin drawer in his freezer. Yeah. So he just always had Plymouth gin. So he's quite a classic kind of guy. So you know that way if one of your friends tells you that's the gin that you're like, oh, okay. And he would judge like a bar or a bartender by saying, you know, I want it super dry, super cold. And nine times out of ten, they'll know what they're doing and 
the tenth time they don't you know it comes yeah. warm and it's rubbish and but and then the vermouth just he, what he's, he, I think he says just the vermouth has to look at the glass uh-huh. I and mean, that's pretty yeah, much yeah. like and yeah the nights out we've had on those have just been you just can't drink very nuclear. many is the problem well is it, it you know I think I've said it on these podcasts before you know is it one's not enough two's too many what is something it? like that there's uh, a phrase isn't it uh, one. One for fun, two at the most, three you're on the floor, four you're under the house. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's great though. I mean, it, you, you can just feel it going through your veins. You're just yeah. like, oh, come on. And that's the perfect New York drink. Yeah. And then you have one or possibly two of those and you can head off to bed and yeah. jet lag, not an issue. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming on and it's great to hear your story. I'm just so excited about it and you know i'm just really glad we met and yeah you know hopefully it can be part of the journey and go and test test drive some of the courses yeah exactly come and see us in new york <laughs> and do that that'd be amazing and yeah just really wish you well and oh, thank you i think you're doing a great thing and you know you'll you'll knock it out of the park so oh, well thanks done. see you soon thanks so there you go i hope you enjoyed that episode thank you so much to our headline partners engage interactive from leeds they to me are the best web agency around i've launched a couple of very successful projects with them and they're really worth talking to if you need anything doing from the social side website seo ppc crm apps they're really the guys to talk to working with amazing brands like arc inspirations Taylor's, Yorkshire Tea, all different things. So definitely try and talk to Engage if you can. Huge thanks also to our premium partner, BDO, who've supported us all the way since Series 1. If you've got any accounting queries, mergers and acquisitions advice, growth of your business advice, do give them a call. Thanks also to you for listening, sharing, rating and reviewing as usual. Really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone who's stuck with us in Series 1 and is continuing to spread the good word about Series 2. Thanks to Gaz and Gabby for all of their hard work in putting the podcast together. I know it's a rush most weeks, but I really, really appreciate all that you're doing. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to check me out and check out the podcast. I really hope that this episode, more than ever, has helped you gain some real value and insight that will help your brand boom. Boom.